good to be with you guys today. Aren't you glad that our relationship with God, it's about a relationship? It's, it's about a relationship, and man, what a difference that makes in our lives. Hey, I want to, just so you can be ready, uh, in the Bibles where we're going to be reading from today, you can find that on page 1095, 1095. So if you need a Bible, there they are in the row. Uh, you can grab one and turn to page 1095 to be ready. Uh, we're going to be concluding our series today called Equipped by the Spirit. We've been, uh, over the last several weeks, we've, we've been seeing how Paul uh, and his team had preached the saving gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to the Gentiles living in Galatia. And as a result, many of them had turned from pagan religions and become true followers of Jesus. If you recall, in the past few weeks, what we saw was that sometime later, after they had become followers of Jesus, some folks showed up. Some Jews from Jerusalem uh, arrived in Galatia, and they started teaching that those same people that faith in Jesus wasn't enough. That, that in order uh, to be saved, they had to be circumcised and become practicing Jews. Uh, and unfortunately, many of those young believers were deceived by that and started following this additional teaching. Subsequently, in the last couple of weeks, what we saw is that what Paul has done, he's made it his mission uh, to point out the error in that teaching of the Judaizers, the legalists, as we were talking about, and has made every effort to reaffirm for these new followers of Jesus that their salvation is solely based on their faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of God's Son, Jesus Christ. He's also reaffirmed that the legalist requirement for this circumcision and it's that strict adherence uh, to uh, the law as for salvation was not only a step backwards, it was actually in direct opposition to God's plan. That's not a good place to be. Living in direct opposition to God's plan is never where you want to be. Okay? Paul sees that their desires have been misdirected back to living under the law rather than being focused on becoming more like Jesus. So today, as we close out our study in the book of Galatians, uh, today is going to be Super practical, okay? Because what today is going to be about, and we'll see in, in chapter 6, today is all about living your life in a way each day that makes you more like Jesus. Okay? I think there's going to be a few things in here you might want to write down. So you might even want to get a pen and piece of paper back of the bulletin or somewhere so you can make a few notes if you want, okay? Because this is going to be stuff you can use each day. So... Uh, what we're going to see also in this final chapter is that Paul's going to do two things simultaneously. One, he's going to instruct these young followers of Jesus in how they should focus several areas of their lives. And at the same time, he's going to draw a real stark contrast to Jesus' example versus the actions of the legalists, the Judaizers. Paul's desire for the new believers in Jesus was that they not only get their spiritual beliefs firmly established in the truth of God's word, but that they also become fully equipped, fully equipped with God's wisdom and direction to navigate all the twists and turns, the ups and downs that life can throw us. And that's our objective today. Based on God's word, not only for the believers in Galatia, but for us here, okay, is to understand what are some practical biblical truths 
that we need to understand and use daily in order to be equipped for life. Equipped for life. So before we go any further, uh, if, you want to, if you're there at page 1095, uh, we're going to read the first bit of today's scripture. That's going to be Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. So it starts out and it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch out, watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they're, they're something when they're not, well, they just deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Okay, before we go any further, I want to know what you think. What do you think it means? What does the term mean to be equipped for life? When you hear that, equipped for life, what do you think? Helpful. How to help folks. Yeah. What else? How to do life. How to live life. Yeah. Look, you know, can we all agree? I mean, I, I, I think we would. Okay, if I took a vote, I think we'd all agree. Life can throw a lot of stuff at us. Right? Pretty wide variety of stuff it can throw at us. Okay? I mean, we can have health challenges. We can have relationship difficulties. And man, for a lot of, especially within families, right? There can be challenges. We can, hit, we can run into financial setbacks in our life. Uh, we can have loss of loved ones. I mean, the things that life can throw at us, it, is the list kind of endless? Yeah, and, you know, and just about the time you think one's sorted out, something else pops up, okay? So here's the thing. When we talk about being equipped for life, this is being equipped with wisdom and an understanding of God's word and empowered by the Holy Spirit in such a way that that can be applied to all the areas and issues of our life. Let me say it in a little simpler way. Uh, anybody here like to fish? Yeah, okay, okay, well, so you're going to love this, okay? So this is for you, okay? So in another way, what we're going to talk today, I'm not going to talk about how to catch a bass or how to catch a crappie or how to catch a walleye, even though you'd all like for me to talk about that one. Okay, I'm not going to talk about that. What we're going to talk about is how to fish. How to fish. All types of fish. In any weather. Whether you're on shore or you're from a boat. No matter what kind of equipment you have. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because what this is, it's being equipped with principles and truths that are broader and deeper than any single issue. And they're true and applicable in every situation. So, like I said, I think this stuff is going to be useful. Okay, so here we go. Let's get started. So, the first thing we need to be equipped for life is to become people who are willing to pursue restoration. Okay? Truth is, nothing reveals the wickedness of legalism more clearly than the way that legalists, and often we call those people, we also know them as Pharisees, okay? Nothing reveals that more clearly than 
how they treat people who have stumbled in their faith and been caught in sin. John 8, 3 through 11, is an, is a, is an account of where Jesus, let's read it, it says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught, caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and started writing on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. He said, then neither do I. Go and leave your life of sin. Look, the legalists had no interest in restoration with that woman. They had their rules. And they intended to enforce them without mercy. Today, we live in a world where people are pretty easily offended. Anybody notice that? Yeah, people get offended pretty quickly, okay? And when they become offended, often, what do they do? They just choose to walk away with little interest in understanding what happened or why and no desire for restoration. Being equipped for life is living and behaving more like Jesus. From Scripture, we can see there's no doubt that Jesus was not easily offended, Jesus was not easily a physician, and he was certainly all about restoration. Look, there's, there's, in fact, there's no other better example of that than in Scripture, Jesus' restoration of Peter. Remember, Peter's the guy that said, I don't even know you, three times right before Jesus was crucified. I mean, you want to talk about if you were easily offended, you'd be done with Peter. Okay? But in John 8, 15 to 17, it's a little bit later after that had happened, it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord. <laughs> you know I love you. You know Peter had to be just amazed that Jesus would even talk to him. Right? And he says, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, then feed my lambs. And then it says again, Jesus said, Simon, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, then take care of my sheep. And a third time, Simon, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter, it says Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. And he said, then feed my sheep. Look, it took that to restore Peter. It let Peter know that he was welcome to be there, that Jesus had forgiven him. But with a challenge, here's a question for you. Why do we need restoration? 
all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need to be restored. Ah, rest, okay. Is, is restoration healing? Yeah, it's the beginning of it, isn't it? It's the beginning. Healing cannot begin without a point of restoration. Look, let's, let's take a look. There's an interesting word. Restoration is an interesting word. Okay, let's take a look There's, at what the dictionary says about restoration and what the Bible says about restoration. Okay? The dictionary says that restoration is the action of returning something to its former place or condition. So it's kind of like if, if, I, if, if I, you know, uh, uh, trample over a flower in your garden, restoration in the dictionary means I go get a new flower and place, you know, that one flower with one just like it. Okay? The biblical example of restoration is to receive back more than has been lost to the point where the final state is greater than the original. Someone or something is improved beyond measure. Really, is that in the scripture? Well, yes, it is. Isaiah 61.7 says, Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. You will also inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. There's another example. Remember this, the account of Job? Job, who, okay, who was a faithful servant of God, had not sinned. But, but God allowed him to his faith to be tested. And Job, who was, the thought is, was the richest man in the world at that time, lost everything. Lost everything. His family, his money, his animals, everything was wiped out. And yet he remained faithful to God. And if we read in Job 42, verses 10 and 12, it says, after Job had prayed for his friends, which he needed to, because remember, they were telling him to curse God and die. And God, God said, no, Job's the faithful one, not you guys. Okay, so after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. And then in verse 12, it says that the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life even more than the former than the first part. So the biblical description of restoration is even greater blessing. It's you're, you're better, stronger, healthier after than before. Interestingly enough, though, the original Greek, okay, for the word restoration was actually a medical term, and it had to do with setting a fractured bone. Okay, resetting a, fra a fractured bone. Now, how many of you have ever had to have a bone set, a broken bone set? Yeah, would you all, I have a couple times. Could we all agree that's painful? Yeah, well, okay, this is actually pretty good then, right? Because setting that fractured bone is painful, at least initially, but it's necessary for healing to begin. Yeah, the process of restoration is no different. It can be difficult. It can be painful at first. Yet it's necessary for healing to begin. 
For just a moment, let's step off to the side and let's talk about this process of restoration and how it should be handled, okay? Where people involved in, first of all, it should be handled with love. It should be handled with love by those who are equipped to, to help others when they fall and deal with it gently, gently. Also, the people involved in restoration need to be spiritually mature enough not to fall into the same sin of the person that they're helping to restore. It also should, it also should be done normally privately and with patient, firm correction. Expectations, goals, and milestones in, in the restoration process should be established and monitored. People in need of restoration may also need to be reminded that 1 John 1, 9 applies to them as well. Okay, Life is not over. 1 John 1, 9 promises us that if we will confess our sins, no matter what they are, no matter whether we should have known better or not, no matter how guilty we are, if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us for, from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad that no matter who you are, what you've ever done, and when you've ever done it, that verse applies to you? Restoration may also require those involved to be willing to help carry someone else's burden. Look, we all agree, not all of life is easy. It's not all light and fun, and sometimes life can be really difficult and complicated and messy. There were two words used in the passage that are kind of important for us to understand. In verse 2, we were told to carry one another's burdens. Yet in verse 5, it said that everyone should carry their own load. There's a difference between a burden and a load. Okay? Um, a burden is something that is too much to carry alone. It's overwhelming. It's an overwhelming weight. And as fellow believers... We should always be willing to assist people, to come alongside people, and to help people who are currently being crushed by life's unbearable burdens, their dis disappointments or troubles, whatever it is. A load in the original language was actually referring to a soldier's backpack. Okay, a soldier's backpack. Heavy but manageable. Each one of us is expected to shoulder life's responsibilities, to be self-reliant as much as possible. However, we should never look down on those who can't go it alone and truly need our help. No follower of Jesus should ever think that they're totally independent and will never need help from others because sooner or later we will. We've all needed that. And additionally, we should never feel excused from the responsibility of being well, uh, willing to help others. The body of Christ, this group, the church, right here, it functions only when its members work together to help one another. Whether it's helping to bear someone's burdens or simply to help lighten their load. The legalists who were, whose teaching, you know, Paul was having to, to refute, they were really the ultimate 
zero-sum gamers. They liked putting people on public display when they had failed. Because in their minds, when they made someone else look worse, they looked better. They looked better. That behavior is not at all consistent with the example set by Jesus. So a big step in becoming equipped for life, being able to handle all the issues that will come to us from life, one of the first things we got to do to be equipped is to be willing to pursue and support restoration. Second thing we need to be equipped for life, this is a good one to write down, if you don't, is to understand sowing and reaping. Understanding sowing and reaping. Let's go back to today's scripture. Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. So, what is sowing and reaping? What do we mean by that? What do we mean by sowing and reaping? The things, the things you do have consequences. Right? Yeah. Any other thought? Yes. Okay. Yeah. The, I, first of all, what I think well, I'll sum it up just to this. Our words have power. Right? Our words have power. Look, the principle of sowing and reaping on a very practical level, like a farmer. Sowing and reaping, right? That's what they do every season. Okay? It's a law of nature established by God. It's, in fact, it's the law behind the principle of cause and effect. If this law, this principle established by God, just for a moment, think about it. If this did not exist, our world would be chaos. Our world would be chaos. I mean, it would really be chaos. Uh, and so as a result, this, this concept was widely understood even in Jesus' time, and it was the basis for many, many common proverbs in the ancient world that, that were widely understood and accepted because of the, the context. People got it, okay? The passage also said that we should not mock God. So now, let's understand what I mean by What is mocking God? Mocking God, mocking someone is a sign of dishonor and disrespect, okay? So mocking God is when we intentionally ignore his laws, his principles, and think we will suffer no consequences. Just back to the practical level for a minute. Think about it. What if a farmer on his 1,000-acre farm planted wheat, but when he goes back to harvest, it was all watermelons? Well, it might taste good, but where would be the bread? You see what I mean? I mean, how could anyone plan? How could you, yeah. you, you, we, you wouldn't know, okay? What if, uh, 
What if co somebody, a coworker, someone you work with, what if they cheat and steal from the company, but they get promoted and offered a pay raise? Do you see, I mean, without cause effect, sowing and reaping, the world is chaos. And, it, and it's craziness. It makes no sense. Okay, on a more practical level, here's one. If you gossip about your friends, you will lose your friends. If you sow, you will reap. Okay? Every action has consequent results. Proverbs 2.28 says, Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity. Hosea 10.12 says, But sow righteousness for yourselves and reap the fruit of unfailing love. Look, if you sow, and let's call it if you live, okay? How, how you sow is how you live. If you sow only to please your own desires, if you just do what feels good to you, then you reap a crop of sorrow and evil. However, if you sow, if you live your life in a way to please God, you reap peace and joy and everlasting life. Last week we read about, in Galatians 5, we read about the acts of the sinful nature, call that, and then later on in that same chapter we read about the fruit of the Spirit. Fact is, here's the thing, all of us, everyone sows. We're all sowing something, right? The choice we get to make is what we sow into. Is it the sinful nature or is it the Spirit? And here's why this decision to choose is so important, is because once we have sown, we can't change the outcome of the harvest. Okay? So, one more thing on acts of the flesh. Uh, because they're contrary to God's law, if we sow to acts of the flesh, because they are contrary to God's law, they bear no fruit. They bear no fruit. On the other hand, when we sow to the Spirit, it says that what we reap are, is the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit has seeds. Fruit continues to produce more fruit. And so our, our righteousness can bear fruit many times over. By the way, I, I looked it up. I was curious about fruit. This is just a little side thing. You know, different fruit has different amounts of seeds. So even what you, what you reap, like grapes have like two seeds per grape. Apples have five to seven. A fig, which I thought was an interesting one because Jesus went and checked a fig tree. Figs can actually have hundreds of seeds. So our fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, we bear seeds, and it can produce so much more fruit over and over again and touch people's lives. This whole idea of reaping and sowing also applies to our life of faith, to the faith that we have. There's an account in 2 Kings 4, 1 to 7. It's, it's called the widow's oil, and you may know the story. I want to read it to you briefly, okay? It says, uh, a wife, uh, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Sir, my husband, your servant, my husband is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as slaves. 
Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what uh, do you have in your house? And the servant, uh, your servant has nothing at all except for a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't just ask for a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, and pour oil into the jars, and as each is filled, set it aside. She left him and shut the door behind her with her sons, and they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. And he said, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, well, great. Go sell the oil and pay your debts, and then you and your sons can live on what is left. How much oil was in that jar? Really? How much was in the jar? Enough. What determined how much oil was in the jar? Her faith. If she collected five, five empty jugs to fill, how much oil would there have been? Five jugs worth. If she collected 500 jugs to fill, how much oil was there? 500. Yeah, she sowed a great deal of faith because she asked for a lot of jars and reaped a blessing that was sufficient to not only pay off all her debts, but apparently to provide her with an, a retirement income, with an income that she could live on. The size of her blessing was proportionate to the size of her faith. She sowed faith, and she reaped blessing. To be equipped for living an abundant, joyful life, we really need to fully understand the practical truth and power of sowing and reaping. Finally, to be fully equipped for life and to be able to face all its challenges, here's the encouragement one. Don't become weary in your calling. Don't get weary in what you're called to do. Let's go back to today's scripture. Galatians 6, verses 9 through 18 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will harvest, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who are belonging to the family of believers. Then Paul writes, See what large letters I used to write to you with my own hand. Those uh, who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, which the, uh, through which the world has now uh, been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor an uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Look, during Paul's time, Christians often suffered persecution and economic hardships 
because they got ostracized from the, the neighborhood, if you will, because of their faith in Jesus. As a result, when they had needs, there was really no one else for them to turn to but other followers of, of Jesus. So this verse was, first of all, an encouragement not to become weary in following Jesus, but to persevere, but to persevere in their faith. Additionally, anytime we're committed to living our lives in a way that honors and glorifies God, us right here today, can we all agree that the enemy isn't happy? The enemy does not want you to live according to the things we've talked. He does not want you to practice sowing to the Spirit. He does not want you to become a person who is, is committed to restoration and, and making relationships whole and, and helping people that have fallen. He isn't happy, and so what will he do? He will do his best to, when you are least expecting it, to send people and situations into your path that will attempt to discourage you, to attempt to misdirect you, or certainly, if nothing else, to confuse you. And look, people that will do that are often doing this by misusing or distorting the word of God in a way that turns it to suit their own purposes. And this is precisely what the Judaizers, those Pharisees, had been doing. Paul was encouraging his young believers to not become weary. Don't, don't get tired of having to... to Stand firm in your faith and reject these false teachings when you know the truth. Look, don't become weary applies to you and me today. It applies to us today. Every, these young believers had accepted a call from Jesus, right? They were now followers of Jesus. You and I, are fo as followers of Jesus, we have a calling as well. God created things for you and I to do. The enemy doesn't want you to do those things. Maybe your calling at this point in your life may be different than it was 30 or 40 years ago. Right? There, right now, if you have young children, part of your calling is raise those children in the, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Right now, if you're living in an area with people your own age, it may be encouraging them, telling them about Jesus. This may be about praying for people when they have needs, when they're lonely, when they, you know, when they're in need. You may be your your part of your calling today may be helping to lighten someone's load, who right now just can't manage the normal load of life, much less in need of someone bearing a burden which we all can face from time to time with the real great difficulties of life. All of us have a calling. If you are still alive, you still have a calling. So what this verse is there to do is to encourage us to stay at it, to don't become weary, don't become discouraged, but to stay at it because we're sowing to the Spirit, when we stay at our calling, we're sowing into righteousness and we will reap a reward when we plant seeds of righteousness, when we plant seeds of love and kindness and restoration and forgiveness, when we sow the Word of God. You know, there are grandparents who read the Bible, read God's Word to their grandchildren. Think what you're doing. You're sowing God's Word into their lives. When we 
do not become discouraged, but we stay at it. That verse says and promises us that at the proper time, we too will experience a harvest if we persevere and don't give up. Being equipped for life means feeding our spirits daily with the Word of God so that we remain spiritually strong. Even in the midst of difficulties, not becoming weary, and as a result, being much more easily deceived and sidelined by the enemy. Isaiah 40, 31 has an awesome promise for you and me about not becoming weary. It says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. Would you guys stand with me as we get ready to close today? Don't become weary. Okay, let's just bow our heads, close our eyes. Uh, for those of you who are watching on the live stream, you can do the same thing right where you are. Um, if no one looking around, maybe you've got some area of your life or some relationships that are in need of restoration. If you want to give those to God today and just and ask him to grant you wisdom to know how to proceed, to know how to take a step forward in initiating that, just raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Or maybe you've become weary in your calling. And today's the day you want to ask God to refresh you with the power of his Holy Spirit so that you can continue to sow to the Spirit, knowing that in due time you will reap a harvest of righteousness. If that's you, raise your hand. Yeah, amen. Lord, today you have seen our hands. And God, today we want to be, Lord, we have said to you, we want to be people, Lord, who seek restoration who encourage it, facilitate it, help it, allow it. Because, Lord, we don't want to be people who are easily offended and separated. We want to be more like Jesus. And, Father, today we've also said that we can become weary. And so, Lord, today we ask you, Father, where we've become weary, to refresh us, to renew us, refill us, Lord, with the power of your Holy Spirit. Renew the calling you have on our lives, Lord. Just reconfirm it in our spirits. And Lord, I pray that we would feel refreshed to go and do the things that you've called us to do. Because, Lord, we want to continue to sow to the Spirit. And so, Lord, we ask these things. We want to thank you in advance, Lord, that these are prayers you want to answer because they're consistent with your word and your plan for each of us. So we thank you in advance for what you're going to do in each of our lives today. In Jesus' precious and holy name. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another and agree with another and live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Amen.